0: This
1: meeting
2: is being recorded. Om so uh last uh, gd's atoboda summary was pretty good was there anyone from this group here who uh, who was not there last week vivek okay yeah so okay vivek Shyamala, were you there last week yes yes sure. okay yeah so uh so so just to quickly I, I wasn't there too rajesh oh yeah that's no, okay. no your video was not on so i did not know who was there
3: no that's fine that's fine i was intentionally not on <laughs>
2: okay thank you so uh, last week i think uh, uh, we revised we revised the apkoboda with uh, with roughly about 3 minutes per person and uh, it is a great revision because we sort of, you know, to Krishna's point now, maybe I will agree that you know we, we although we revised Atma Bada, it sound it sounded as if we were revising the Gita, yeah. and uh, uh, the simulation were wonderful. And I think it, it's it's uh, it's a uh, it's 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 something that you know once we upload it, you know, uh, uh, Lakshmi and Vivek, I think I would encourage you to watch those three three minute videos. So it will be wonderful for you to get the perspectives from the group here. And uh, in yeah. case you. In case both of you have finished uh, Atma Bodha and want to, you know, summarize anything before we kick off the chapter three, this is your time.
4: Well, uh, actually, uh, so, so I've, I've dipped in and out of uh, the Atma Bodha discussion. So, I, but I did listen to Swami Talatman's, uh, uh sort of uh, discourse on that. He's got on, on Spotify. He's got uh, wonderful discourses, but. That's me, you know, while walking, so I haven't taken down detailed notes at all. I did listen to Manu and, and Mukkan's uh, intervention. I was sort of uh, traveling around in, in Northern England with my son, back to uni, etc. So I didn't. Um, I, I'm, I'm most curious to understand, you know, the distinction between Atma Bodha and Datva both in terms of the detail of the teaching. Of course, we know what the head, heading, heading says. Um, I haven't got to grips with that, and that's sort of my quest with the two t- texts. Um, so, if anybody has a quick uh, uh, sort of, you know, elevator assessment of the, you know, the uh, the, the essential teachings of the two texts, I, I would love to hear it. But we don't have to discuss that.
2: No, I think it's a it's a good point. Maybe you know, I'll, I actually, I, I request Alpana, you can you can give that high level view because. When we were initially discussing, you know, you suggested that we do Atma Bodha, although
5: Bodha was similar. So, you want to summarize that? I think uh, Tattva Bodha directly just gives uh, definitions and uh, there were no uh, examples in Tattva Bodha. So, Atma Bodha was a little bit more detailed of Tatva Bodha and also with a lot of examples. Almost every shloka had a simile um, and so it was easier to understand uh, same concepts. Um, and it is also a foundational text, but slightly more detailed than the Tattva and that's why I think we had picked it up. So that was the biggest difference I felt between the two texts. And I think... Just the, want to
6: add...
5: Yeah, sorry, go ahead.
6: Go ahead, go ahead,
5: please. I was just saying, actually, Tattva Buddha's definitions are more clearer. Here it was not so much of definition, but to, to more do the manan and... Uh, on the concepts we learned in Tatvabodha.
7: So, yeah, go ahead, Satya. <laughs> I was just saying that I, I don't think we would have enjoyed Tatvabodha uh, as much if, if we had not done the Tatvabodha first. I think. So, hmm. I think Tatvabodha really acts as a, a proper foundation, starting one zero one before we get into anything else. Yeah,
4: that's.
1: That's great, summary, actually. Yes. And I find, I thought Tattva Bodha was broader and Atma Bodha was focused on one aspect of uh, defining and explaining the Atma. And Tattva Bodha was broader in terms of defining what is, what are the requirements and uh, what is the karma, uh, the principle of karma and all those uh, aspects as well. Slightly broader. Yeah, I mean, you're
8: right. Yeah, you're right today. I mean, the way I looked at Tattwa Bodha was that it was kind of... Uh, Talk, he talked about both the self and the the transactional world in sort of equal measure whereas Atma was very sort of singularly almost focused on on the self.
2: Awesome. I think that's uh, that's a very very uh, short summary of uh, the wonderful text that we completed. I think thank you for for the comprehensive inputs. With that on to marching on to chapter 3 I think at this rate what we are doing i think we probably will uh, get to chapter 18 in a few years looks like it but that's <laughs> fine i don't i think we have a few uh, few janmas to get get to finally where we where we want to get so or maybe one Janma, you don't know okay so uh, as usual anyone can start from any of your, any of your aha moments
8: I think, simply put, uh, to me, when I read the question that Arjuna asks in the first uh, verse, I mean, I kind of couldn't help myself saying, yeah, that's a good question. So, yeah, in a way, sort of, you know, this is not Arjuna's question. I think given the emphasis in chapter 2 on how Jnana Yoga is probably the most important. And if you look at, I think, verse two of Atma Bodha, it says that's the direct means to enlightenment. Um, so, having kind of gone through that, you almost kind of say, you know, why do I need to do the rest? Why can't I just kind of take the straight, straight sort of express route to moksha through the jnana yoga route? So, in a way, sort of, it is sort of intuitive, but uh, obviously, there is a lot of nuance, which is what I guess this chapter is all about.
9: Beautiful point, Ajay. Uh, I also, the aha moment where uh, Swami Chinmayananda explained the nice connection. So, Arjuna in between asks about sthita prajna, And Then he thinks, or Swami says, he thinks, Oh, I want to be that guy. And it looks like that Jnana Yoga and the renunciation thing that you just said, is going to be that sthita pragna, not, not the one who is immediately doing karma. So, it was very beautifully connected, those two pieces.
8: And you almost got the feeling that, uh, you know, Arjuna, like uh, most of us, very conveniently sort of forgot or glossed over what Krishna said in the middle of Chapter 2 around Karma Yoga, 47, 48 and around. And, and I think we, we do a lot of that, right? You know, we listen to what, is, what, is, what resonates with us exactly. and what we think is convenient. So in a way, he was saying, look, I don't need to kind of bother about action. I can just sit back, go to the forest, just meditate and find my path why do I need to do all of this and, and so yeah it's interesting in terms of how people think it's not dissimilar from all of us I mean in a way
1: for me I thought in the third uh, third verse uh, when he talks about the twofold path right one is uh, uh, one is karma yoga and one is jnana yoga he says neither one is better both can be practiced it is not that one or the other both can be done but eventually I think he again veers to uh, karma yoga you start with karma yoga purify your uh, 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 heart or uh, get rid of your egocentric self and then get into uh, jnana yoga I think there was a little uh, you know uh, what do you what do you say uh, uh, kind of taking both ways right you can do both he says but then uh, to some point he says uh, take take the first uh, karma yoga path and then end up in jnana yoga i i kind of uh, got mixed up in that verse a little bit but i think it is clear that there is no uh, just one path
10: so when i was reading it i actually um interpreted the jnana yoga more to be reflective where it was you do an action you reflect you do an action you reflect so it's at any point in life um, or anything that you're doing you do an action you reflect you do an action and you reflect and that's the only way forward which you can make real progress towards your goal that's I mean I don't know if that's the that was what I thought I took away from that part of the
3: reading i i think um for me it was just the first i didn't read fully but um it was the first especially where it says um if it be taught by you that the knowledge is superior to action so i I think arjuna was um in that mode where he was thinking knowledge is superior to action and he couldn't um convince himself to be in action, right? So, um, that part of the uh, para which says the Pandavas were convinced of the moral purity, the spiritual worth and the divine glory of their standpoint in the imminent test of strength. But unfortunately, Arjuna could not sink his egoism and see himself totally identified with the army. And I can... um, in fact, relate to some of the instances at work or home. Sometimes we have to, though we um, may like or may not like, we have to do certain repetitive tasks, and uh, sometimes we have to convince ourselves it's it's uh, uh, for the better, right? For the good. So, um, so that that kind of uh, and also it's it's also I was surprised that um, how in the book they relate that to um, not being able to um, convince his like he he could not sink his egoism so he that was somehow related to ego so uh, so he could not see himself with the um with the people uh, who were ready to fight, right? So that's, uh, which is the army. So I was little surprised that it was the ego which was coming in his way to perform the action.
7: (laughs) For me, the aha moment came, uh... Uh, you know, while listening to the uh, lectures by Swami S.P.G. on uh, this particular one, so he's, he nicely you know, suggests a, a framework. He says, you know, uh, just think of it as three columns. You know, so one is, you know, what is the problem, and what is the solution, and uh, what is the method to achieve that. So he says that, you know, if you, you know, the impurity of the mind is is the problem, then what is the solution? The purity of the mind. Then what do you do? Is karma yoga. So he says, karma yoga, so you know, doesn't lead to enlightenment. It only makes your mind pure. And same thing for, say, dhyana yoga. So, so it is the problem is the scattered mind, and uh, you do, you know, uh, you do meditation. So you know, the solution is to get a focused mind, and you do it through dhyana yoga, raj yoga. Again, this also doesn't lead to enlightenment. You know, it, it only makes the mind uh, focused. But unlike the first two, the third one, you know, the problem statement is, you know, uh, I'm ignorant of who I am, and uh, so the solution is understand or get the knowledge of the Brahman, and the method is, the method is Jnana Yoga, and here it directly leads to, you know, enlightenment. So if you if you are, um, you know, if you're able to do that directly, probably you know, uh, you know, you can go there, uh, but but most most people would require the first two steps. To you know, to remove the impurity of the mind and to make the mind uh, focused, and that's why the first two are required before you get into jnana yoga. So I, I like that uh, um, you know, some visualization of what you was trying to say. Sweet.
11: Yeah, for me it's not exactly an aha moment, but it was more like I was thinking through it as uh, you know people always consider karma yoga and jnana yoga as two pillars and. Mutual- often misinterpreted as mutually exclusive, but I found like it is not exactly mutually exclusive. Verse 5, as in uh, chapter 3, it says like, uh, no one ever remains, even for a moment, without doing any work. Even thinking is actually doing work, yeah, but, but it's Swadhyaya. So, Nyana Yoga pretty much comes from self-study, self-practice. That is also kind of work, it's not a work that immediately benefits somebody else, but eventually, without all these uh, rishis and munis, if they haven't done the Swadhyaya, their work through their uh, self-practice and self-attain uh, some level of uh, jnani, then they go on to write treatises. then they go on to write their uh, bhashya or, or explanation, which helps others to pursue. So that is their jnana yoga leading to karma yoga. So in my opinion, jnana yoga, karma yoga are uh, almost entwined. And depends on which path you want to refine, you're going to go and refine that way.
2: You sure? Yeah.
6: You sure? Uh, by the way, I don't have the host control, so I
2: can't uh, take off anybody's. Uh... Oh, yeah. Let me. If someone, you know, if I want to lower somebody's
6: hand, I can't do it. Oh, no, 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 no problem. Yeah. I, I just made you a co host. Sorry.
2: Yeah. So, one
6: other thing just to add to this right is that um, uh, different people are in different stages right so this also kind of gives you um, you know and the scriptures since they have to ha- they they do um, what, what do you say they cater to people from all stages right so in, in a way it is putting that down I mean we are I think we get confused but in the sense that hey do, should I use this path or that path but then Just like Arjuna's question right in the beginning, but yeah, in a way, as Swamiji says, it is serial, just that you might be early on and somebody else might be somewhere later, right? So, uh, depending on where you are in this uh, hike or uh, you know, as you walk towards Mount Everest, which is the peak, you know, you are in a different state, you are in a different base camp. Um, I'm in a different base camp, I'm maybe much somewhere else so it depends on where you are right and you pick that up so to satya's point i think i like that approach because um if i know if i clearly assess myself and see that uh, you know uh, my mind is very agitated in that way and then i need to do those things first so i think the final stage if you look at it the final base camp from which you uh, uh, launch into the summit uh, would, would be that sadhana chatushtam, right? I mean, you need to have that, which means a poised, calm, and poised mind, with uh, with um, very good control of senses and so on. So, and until you reach there, uh, nano yoga is intellectual at this point, right? I think the nano yoga that they are talking about here is the complete absorption. So until then, it can be intellectual, but uh, but to the in the last point uh, when you launch from the last final base camp is when uh, we are talking about the final absorption and becoming self-realized so uh, until then it is um, to me mostly uh, uh, practicing karma yoga to get to that point to achieve that prerequisite
2: good morning so for me um um
12: I, I, first of all, thanks to Satya. I, I really liked how you explained, how Swami um, SPG explained about this uh, particular um, instance. For me, the aha moment was um, especially for the third one when uh, Sri Bhagwan it, himself says the two options, both the Karma Yoga and Jnana Yoga. But the way uh, Swami Chinmayananda has put in is he first perfectly identifies with the spiritual dignity in himself and then he's experiencing his absolute nature i i really like that the way he put it because after reading tattva bodha and atma bodha and understanding that and coming to here and just reading that paragraph on page 196 it it really uh you know opened my eyes to like even if bhagwan is able to come to the place of the absolute realization that's when he's able to tell us Um, and he's saying that action is always there and self-knowledge has to you know keep we have to keep thinking about that and do the action it's like a do check review kind of a mode you know circular mode Uh, but at the same time i think he's saying that you have to be so pure When he himself is trying to be at his absolute and then explaining um, then there's something for us to you know think about and ponder uh, so that was my aha moment and you know to be active and contemplating both ways together probably is is the way to go um, but that really um, was my aha moment
2: so I had a quick question uh, actually the, I was speaking up on what Anupama said and what you said yeah so um, did both of you mean when you said that, you know, Anupama, when you said that, you know, karma yoga, you do action, you reflect, that is jnana yoga, and then you do action. When you use that word reflect there, and the context, Vidya, in which you said, you know, what did you say, you said, uh, like a iteration or something, you said. I, you used a software terminology word, I, I don't think. I think that. she
10: used do check and reflect.
2: Ah, uh, uh, you yeah. do check and reflect. Did both of you mean the same thing in terms of, uh, uh, what did you, Want to say there?
12: Yeah. So uh, Anupama, can I talk a little yeah, bit of about? Course. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> so uh, the way Anupama said it, I felt like I'm a human being. You know, I'm doing it again and again. But when I read that particular piece of it, I felt that Krishna Himself, as a human being, went to a substratum where he he felt he was absolute. And then he's preaching that. So the, the the concept is different, but I'm not there yet. I'm still at what Anupama is thinking. You know, I'm still human being. But how can we even come to that position, which uh, you know, Atma Bodha is prescribing, right? Uh, so that that was my aha moment, and that's where I was. But I do understand where Anupama. I'm I'm very similar to what where Anupama is or explained.
10: So the way, I what know. I looked at, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, Vidya, I exactly mean. So if Krishna himself meant it in this manner, and he had to get to that point to make, make Arjuna understand, we are, I felt for me, I, I have to make it relatable to how I can live my life. I'm not Krishna, and I don't think I can get to being where he is anytime in the near timeline that there exists. So for me, that, that was the most important thing that, you know, yes, he is telling us to make us understand it is in this, in this cycle, like Vidya said, you know, do check, reflect or contemplate or whatever. So for me, that, that's something that I can live. I can actually live that, um, those words that he has said, you know, or the advice that he's giving. So that made it more relatable, livable, and something more concrete. Otherwise, like I always have been maintaining, I look for something where I can start with being concrete and then move to the abstract. And this to me was that.
2: Yeah, my my question was only really in terms of what is the what is the subject of reflection? That was my question.
10: For everything. For me, it, it could be with anything, any action that during the day whatever whether it is a, a thought or a real con, um, a physical action both i'm not just talking about uh, the, the karma doesn't have to be something where you move point a to point b or you're doing something where you're getting a product it could also be in your thoughts
12: so even yeah, in that me, you can have the same cycle correct to me the same very similar way what anupama said every thought every action um every mind related or any you know all the all the five um, indriyas related action that we are doing um, that needs to be uh, you know kind of ekagrishit in the sense that at this point um, as we are humans we can think it is uh, you know samarpanam uh, uh, to the almighty you know but if we have that thought It's easier for us to get rid of any vasanas that we may have, right? Um, in thought or action,
2: you know. So, my, my, my question is still that. My question is Is that is that in the karma yoga domain that we are reflecting, or is it jnana yoga? That's the question that I'm trying to understand. I,
12: I think it is both. Um, I think both so is it. fluid. Yeah, it's both because I feel that the, because of vasanas, we are doing the action. But because of jnana, we are uh, trying to get rid of those vasanas and come to a place where we are much you know at a much higher level so it's it's that that's why i said it's like do check reflect and you know come to a place where um, and again that becomes an action right
10: when that you are influences
12: doing influences the following action right
6: right
2: shavala
12: yeah, so if you may just answer
0: that question that you had Rajesh with one thing that I was reflecting on. What do we contemplate about is what you said. What is the subject on which we contemplate? So the statement that I highlighted was this action. Whether it has three components. Whether it is you know, whether it is done with purity of love. with the spirit of And it is done with emotion of love. To me if the reflection happens I think it will be on these three. Which is, you know, have we done it? Otherwise, I think there are again a chain of uh, sequence and a chain of events that gets kicked off after, right? You know, in terms of vasanas, impressions, and everything else. So if we are reflecting, maybe it'll be on these three. You know, how did we do it? What was the motive? Um, was there, with you know, full of love? Was there a spirit of surrender in it? And if not, there is an opportunity to understand and change and keep doing it again.
2: No, well, well said, So the question is, is that jnana yoga as defined in chapter two that's the question that i'm asking
0: i think it, it he clearly says at least in the commentary it's action related so maybe we're already getting into karma yoga aspects and how you we refine the karma yoga
2: yeah sorry i was kind of you know uh, uh, pushing this a little harder because you know i think we will have to probably you know relook at what the definition of karma yoga is as per chapter two not, not the same. that's what i'm trying to say in, in my understanding that's not uh, that's reflection on the Karma Yoga aspects of it, but not on the... Jnana Yoga. Uh, on the, uh, I mean, it could be anything on the action, or Dhyana, or related reflection, but not necessarily Jnana
13: uh, Yoga. If I may add, right? All, uh, Satya, you clearly said about the problem and the solution and the means to get to the solution. Most of the time, the problem statement itself is not clear, or it changes as we go through in our life, right? Uh, So, sometimes, like, you know, I feel that time is wasted on defining the problem itself. So, we have to reflect on what our problem is. Uh, We know something is not complete, we know that, but we don't know what it is. I, I feel that that itself is the struggle sometimes. So, so Krishna is telling all of this clearly uh, in the beginning itself (laughs) of this chapter that's the thing that I had. Okay, uh, Arjuna clearly knows the problem. He's telling like, I can't do this or something. And sometimes in our life, that itself is not clear. (laughs) Can I do it or can I not do it? And okay, if we do it, if we want to do it, you go take it halfway through. You keep reflecting as you go along the way. And then we say, we sometimes do course correction and change our direction too. So, is that right or wrong, <laughs> that we don't know? <laughs> Whatever we decide, then we have to stick to that and pursue that much Right? I understand.
5: So, um, I had asked actually this, sorry, go ahead.
6: No, 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 go ahead. This is just to Shanta's point, but go ahead, please. Yeah,
5: yeah sorry, I was also <laughs> trying to answer that. I mean, I had asked this question to Swami SPG, how do we know that our heart is pure? how do we know that that's a problem right so he said um i mean it's it's still going ahead in this thing the the divine qualities that are described in in chapter 16 if you think you have them that means your mind is pure and if you have the asuri qualities that means your mind is not pure so it's a little going ahead but it is at least defined if any of the qualities divine qualities we are missing then we need to do yoga. if any of the asuri qualities we have we have to do yoga. because my question was also how do we know that my mind is pure or not pure? then the second question was how do i know my mind is focused or not because there are times when we are thoughtless so thoughtless is not a sign of having a kagra it is when you can decide what you want to focus upon and you focus on that it is not a random thought that comes and you can focus on it. No. It is not a thoughtlessness. No. It is if you decide what you want to focus upon and you can not have your mind deviate. That is the sign that you don't need dhyanya. So it was a very clear, you know, articulation of you know when we think that problems there. So yes, it doesn't directly answer your question, but at least in that framework. If we want to see which one is a problem, then yes. And the third one is slightly more clearer. The more, till you can say, say this body is I, you are in ignorance. So he did explain it very clearly about, about just that, that framework. So it's not directly, yes, answering your question. It's difficult to know what, what our problem is, but from the spiritual growth perspective for these three points, this is, this was his answer.
7: To reflect on just, it. <laughs> just just one point on this thoughtlessness. So what did you what do you exactly mean by that? Is it like in the deep sleep state?
5: Even in meditation, you do reach the you you're not getting thoughts. I think a lot of people say that no I don't have any thoughts in my mind, but that's not chitta. It is when I've you decide what you want to focus on and you can focus on that one that is ekakrichtable
2: Actually, yeah, uh, yeah. Know, you said it very nicely. Yeah, Budai, I know that you raised your hand, just give me a second. So, when when we do uh, dhyana, especially japa, at some point of time, the japa automatically stops. And it happened to me personally and uh, many days, then after that, there is no, uh, there's no. I'm not able to continue. I'm just sitting there, but I'm not able to you know, chant mentally. Uh, and it's complete blank, but that is, that is, uh, and then again, it picks up again after after some time. I do not know how
4: much time it is, right? And
2: but that, you are aware that is that you are aware that you are uh, yeah, blank. yeah, yeah. You just drop. You just I mean, it's like it's like a huge cliff. You know, you just going tac, 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 then huge cliff, and then again the cliff comes back again, like this. like a sine wave, or not sine wave. I would say a step step function, like a step function. So.
4: It
5: happens, well, like when presenting. Sometimes you go completely blank, right?
2: No thought comes
4: to you. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> exactly.
2: <right. laughs> good one. Up, I, I like your no, optimism. <laughs> That's a very good <laughs> one. I <I'm, I'm> <laughs> like <an optimum laughs> your optimism. say sometimes.
6: To Udaya, I just have a point to uh, on Santa's uh, thing if I me. So uh, another way I look at this, again, using using climbing the Mount Everest analogy, right? Different base camps, each base camp, let's say, has a certain set of, uh, you know, to go beyond that, you need to have certain things. Not that you you can, you you can obviously uh, kind of read and uh, all that intellectually kind of uh, have that um, understanding intellectually, but then to absorb, you need to have certain qualities, right? Let's say. Um, so, even if, you, if you're climbing Everest and you're going to say, okay, what else do I need before I go there? And then, you know, you, you're probably climbing many other smaller mountains before and then finally reaching there. And, and you planned everything to reach there. And then from going from 1A to B or C, I mean, you, 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 you have um, you, you've figured out what those things are, right? And you're constantly assisting yourself. Am I ready? I mean, uh, to go to the next, from this base camp to the next, you know, kind of a thing. So, in some ways, um, uh, as you pointed out, I, want, I wanted to say, um, do we have sadhana chattoshtayam? I mean, do we have those qualities that are prescribed there? That's one. Secondly, do we have 2 KLM 3 How often? I mean, we, we'll all have in some proportion. Sure. The question is, again, FIR and C, how, uh, how often does that happen? Uh, is that a continuous thing? Or is this something that uh, you are seeing as something that's reducing over a period of time? And at the same time, the value of values, which is the 20 values prescribed there, along with, I would say, another way of looking at it would be yamas and niyamas. Uh, do, do I have, have I kind of, um, in my thought, action, speech and action? For instance, do, uh, do, I, um, uh, do I portray, uh, you know, ahimsa in, in what I do as an example? so so on so those values prescribed both in yoga sutras and in gita along with reduction of 2klm3 kind of gives us a, a fairly good set of things to um, dimensions to measure ourselves by and see do do i am i am i there yet right so um and then from there not that you we um, we cannot have nāna yoga, but as uh, it is pointed out in many places, once you have that nāna yoga happens in an instant. After that, right? Um, so it depends whether many of us have um, maybe almost there for all you know in terms of all of these uh, prerequisites. And at some point, it might just happen, right? So, but the effort to me seems to be in these getting these prerequisites. Nāna yoga after that. Uh, as has been pointed out, there is grace involved. I mean, you have to uh, understand. But then, after that, it is it is an instantaneous thing. It could happen in any uh, any time after that, right? So that's how I at least I'm seeing it. Getting to base camp two after that, the final base camp to the summit uh, requires grace and uh, uh, something more, right? And it can happen in an instant.
1: Thank you. Hey, uh, Guntax, I, I raised my hand when we were still discussing the cycle of uh, karma yoga and contemplation and uh, we moved on. But I just state, I was more, uh, I thought contemplation was ref in that stanza and that verse was referring to jnana yoga and not karma yoga. Uh, I'm with uh, you kind of thinking that uh, you know, the two paths and contemplation belong to the Dhyana Yoga uh, or uh, the Dhyana Yoga uh, side of the,
2: the equation. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Kishore, you know, just to, uh, you know, I know that we probably deviated a little from the, the shlokas that we were trying to read, But one thing is, uh, you know, in, in, in my mind, I'm always thinking about this map, right? You know, uh, just imagine a circle Okay, where everything is, if, if it's a perfect circle, you know, you've got all these spokes in the wheel uh, at, at the points is at the, at the end of the circle, right? And then you've got a perfect circle. So imagine these spokes based on, you know, what Kishore described, Sadhana Chatushtaya or uh, 2K and M3. And, you know, we can draw our own individual circle like that, which each of the spokes, and then we can put ourselves a dot, you know, at the center of the hub is zero. And then at the outer is hundred percent, and then you can draw a map kind of a thing. And depending on how the map looks like, then we know we can, you know, move <laughs> one angle or the other. It will be a pretty yeah. interesting radar chart. I,
7: I can't
4: move.
7: <laughs> sorry, oh, uh, Satya, what no. chart is that? It's a radar chart, actually.
4: Yeah.
7: Oh, okay. What is it called? Okay. Radar. It's called chart. a radar chart. Hmm.
2: Can you? I'm sorry, not able to hear you. Can you? Right time. <laughs> yes. Radar chart. Radar chart. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. and maybe you know some of the software folks in here can help us you know design a piece of software that will show us what is our red art today
9: <laughs> I have actually thought about doing that BG meter based on the 16 uh, chapter 16 there is a Devi Sampad thing so that is our own Myers brig equivalent of uh, B G, so we, we have like all the qualities you can check convincingly. Then and then there is one in uh, chapter twelve, Gunatita, uh, Para Bhaktaha, and then Gunatita sixteen. So it's like nice all this big list that Krishna gives us as checkpoints to verify if you are a good bhakta, sthita prajna, and then uh, Gunatita. Yeah. We have to prepare
13: questions for that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Too true. Like we have to. Like you know, negative question, positive, direct, all of
5: that you have to, yeah, prepare. Yeah. <laughs> Not only then we can assess. You're doing two work. chapters a year. By the time we reach chapter twelve, it is <laughs> five years away. <laughs> By then, we'll prepare the question. <laughs> yeah.
2: I, 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 I like, I like that visual chart because I know that you know, if with, as if I assume that my life is uh, like a chariot with those two wheels going on together. In that fashion, even if it is not a perfect circle, it is going to be terribly bumpy, right? And then we need to know where to fix the bump. Yeah. Okay. So, okay, Krishna, you raised your hand. Oh, um, if you
9: are done with the topic, I had like, yeah. uh, thought we were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, one, one interesting thing from the language linguistics department uh, is. The word eva he uses it two times very nicely Arjuna. so one he says vami eva so it seems to me that this is confusing and then uh, words and then mohesi eva and i think my mind is also confused by he says your thing seems confusing to me and because of that my mind is also seemingly confused by what your final advice really is and then he says again thankfully he uses very cleverly the word again. He says just Shreyas, give me the highest thing. What is the thing that I need to achieve to do? I will do that. So I thought that that language usage there in a very uh, what otherwise would be like a quick question was so beautifully portrayed. So, um, going to
5: Actually, the first, the question that uh, Arjun asks in the first shloka. Uh, so, in one of the commentaries, I I read that it is in direct, uh, it is directly questioning shloka 2.49, where uh, Krishna says, karma uh, Yoga Which says that. Uh, as compared to buddhi yoga, sakam karma is uh, is tuch, is uh, is not not so good. So, there actually buddhi yoga refers to uh, samatvam of the buddhi, equanimity of the, the equipoise state of the buddhi, not the jnana part of the buddhi. But he gets confused, and when he asks the question. Actually the buddhi in the first shloka refers to jnana. It doesn't refer to the intellect. So he's actually directly questioning the 2.49. So the question has come from there that compared to, so here he is thinking that buddhi means gyan. So the gyan yoga and the karma yoga. Uh, I mean, if you're saying that gyan uh, yoga is better, then why are you asking me to uh, do this ghor-karma? Then the second thing that I read, which uh, which was quite uh, interesting was that sometimes our mind, you know, I'll read it in Hindi. So here the bhalai is that, you know, it's hinsa. Uh, it is uh, violence. So I don't want to do it. And burai is what his duty is. So he's easily giving away the duty in, with, with respect to the bhalai that woh hinsa nahi So, I think um, that's what it said, ki when there is a duty, there is no action which is uh, uh, which is good or bad. Um, that's more more of a commentary where it said that the mind can Alpana, get
8: Yeah. Yes. Alpana, how does one sort of pick up the nuance as to what does buddhi mean in 249 and in one? I mean, it's the same word, I mean, the context might be slightly different, but is there a nuance or is it just that you've got to interpret it in that way?
5: Actually, that's the reason we do need to read the commentaries. We can't just read the... Because of the same word being used in different contexts. And uh, uh, Shankaracharya did the best work of doing the first Bhashya. So every commentator who's written commentary on Gita is mostly on Shankara's... uh, uh, that's why he was known as the Bhashyagar. and rest everybody then wrote the commentary um, Vartik on that so which is explaining of that so yes uh, I mean I mentioned earlier that atma is used uh, in nine different contexts but which one to pick up and slowly by reading those Atma Bodh, Katva both, I think we should be able to figure out at least related to Atma in what form it is being used, whether it is body, whether it is mind, whether it is, uh, you know, we, we, after reading it multiple times. And, uh, and I have yeah, realized that after reading it a few times, you tend to appreciate these nuances, which probably I have missed many, in the first many, many rounds. And hence, you know, in the second one, when he uses Buddhi, in that he actually means he actually means buddhi as intellect
8: himself is uh, using yeah 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 the buddhi has picked up a few times I mean and it's always confused me so that's not uh, not a surprise but I'm intrigued by what you said that there are nine interpretations of atma you said is there a a summary that you could post uh, Oh, that, I'll have to have... dig it out. I mean, that's again a okay, statement. That's, that's fascinating. <laughs> I mean, because I thought Atma was pretty straightforward.
1: So continuing, even the word Yoga, right, Alpana? There's so yeah. many meanings.
8: Yeah, Yoga it's has good. a lot of.
1: Yeah, Shema yeah. Yoga, it means completely different. Uh, uh, in, the, in the, the,
2: yeah? yeah. So c- continuing on what you know, actually, uh, Sri, you used the word Bhastha today first, and Alpana, you used it again. So I want to kind of, you know, connect what I learned in Vishnu's sonama class yesterday, right? They said there are two words, okay? One is Bhashya, one is Vyakhyana, okay? He says the difference between Vyakhyana and Bhashya is, um, in Bhashya means, I'm just going to read it out, what he what he told me and what I wrote it down. Uh, he says Bhashya means, what is uh, sorry, okay? Bhasha means what is to be communicated, okay? And Bhashya means communicate communicate that which needs to be communicated. I hope you get the difference. What I'm saying between Bhasha and Bhashya. Okay. Now, what is Vyakhyana? Vyakhyana means your interpretation of what is to be communicated. So that's why they say, you know, if you want, if you read anybody's Vyakhyana, okay, then it is interpreted. But if it is Bhashya, if it is Shankara Bhashya, then Shankarji has told you what needs to be told. Period.
11: Otherwise, does it mean Giva like he's can... taking out the, the, separating the chaff from the grains and there's probably he's just giving you the grains there? Sorry, I lost you. No, no. Does it mean like it's separating the chaff from the grains? Like he's giving you what, there's a lot of fluff there. I'm just taking out the fluff and giving you what's the essential portion of it. Correct, correct.
5: No, no, no. It is more than... Actually, it is... Because uh, Bhash, Bhashya is more than what the... Because the uh, shlokas are very cryptic. It doesn't have fluff at all. So it's not segregating fluff from the from the grain. It's expanding on the grain, making grain as the popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) So that is Bhashya. That's Bhashya, not separating the two. (laughs) Because uh, Shankaracharya's uh, uh, Bhashya, I have that book, is pretty thick. So that's why it's not condensed; it's not taking a fluff. But it's explaining what each word means and how to interpret it. I mean, the sh- the, the shlokas, which now I think we we ta- kind of understands the 2.16 and um, karta me and akarta me karta. All those are very cryptic to begin with. Now, because we have read commentaries, we make to se- we begin to make sense of of them. But the vartikar, what they say is uh, it says ukt, anukt and durg, which means uh, ukt is uh, what was said, but in slightly even more detail. Anukt is what was not said, but was implied. So specifying that, and then what was difficult. So elaborating it even more. So vartik is even more bigger than the the bhashya. So Sureshwaracharya wrote the vartik. So he is known as the Vartikar.
11: If you look at the Iskand uh, Bhagavad Gita book, right? I yeah. know Bhaktivedanta Swami, he, he always gives something called purport. P-U-R-P-O-R-T. That's, I yeah. never heard that word anywhere else except for Iskon Bhagavad Gita. So is, I know that is can be a tad controversial because people say that they portray it as a very extreme case of uh, uh, Krishna worship as if yeah, if you look at Sanatan Dharma, they kind of—I don't want to say demean—but they say like, okay, all our gods are demigods, and only Krishna is the supreme thing. I know yeah. that is an extreme way of looking at it. If you look at it from Vedantic point of view, because everything is God, so that that's not really a question of uh, putting one God down or something. So it—it is—is it his interpretation, or is he giving the Vashya there? Because that is one of the most popular Gitas around, especially among non-Indians and so on. And uh, uh, so that can be Gita can be. Used towards a sort of agenda kind of thing, too. Yes, so
12: so any
5: philosophy in India in Hinduism was accepted if you can explain Brahma Sutra and Gita in that framework. So you can use any framework. So what Shankaracharya did was mainly for Advaita or Vedanta, then what uh, Ramanujacharya did for Vishishta Advaita. Then, what Madhava did was for Dwaita. Right? So, different philosophies were accepted if you write a detailed uh, interpretation of Gita using that philosophy. So, yes, he could, then in your particular way, that could be Bhashya as well for that particular philosophy. And then people will write commentaries on it in more detailed fashion. So, But uh, the beauty of Gita is that it can be interpreted by a karma yogi by which uh, who is that Gangadhar Tilak his his Bal Gangadhar Tilak's commentary on Gita is from totally from karma yogi perspective.
2: Even Gandhiji too.
5: Even Gandhiji's, yes. And then, uh, you know, others I mentioned. uh, Ramanujacharya, he's just more of Vishishtadveta. So, because these... uh, uh, shlokas are just so concise; they can be interpreted differently. So, so, so that's the cool. yeah, and that, that's the difference. Actually, uh, I don't know if VP is here. So, that's you the difference different. between Ashṭavakra and Gita. Mm-hmm. Gita uh, brings samanve in all these philosophies, whereas Ashṭavakra you can't explain from karma yogi or a bhakti perspective. There's just no leeway for any interpretation. It is very straightforward, word after word, Advaita.
2: And Sri, you know, uh, the Bhakti Vedanta, Harera Hare tradition comes from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, mm-hmm. is Bhakti tradition. So the interpretation would be tilted on a personal God and then uh, explaining that because it is very difficult for many people to understand and relate. Without a symbolism or an idol, okay, it's very very difficult
9: for people. So, and
5: also accept. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. Good. I said, and sorry, even accept if it's coming from God, then you'll accept. God, who feels that He is everything, I will accept whatever He says. Sorry, go ahead.
9: Not no, 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 no. I, please.
1: I, go ahead, Krishna, go ahead.
9: I had it as like a commentary on Prasthanatrayam. Like for any Acharya or Vashikara, you have to put it on all the three like Upanishads, Brahma Sutram, and Bhagavad Gita. You have to concile it in one point of view and do, which is why they all have their own subsects of uh, Sanatra Dharma, Shankaracharya, Ramanujacharya, and Madhva Acharya, and then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the bhakti way of doing. And uh, to add, that's also why Swami Paramarkand and uh, also the other gurus always mention you need a Guru because if you read the scriptures by yourself, then what you will see is only what your guna and what your own nature is. You will tend to quickly take away that, oh, this is completely X or Y and like it might be contrary to what is actually being conveyed. And that also kind of brings up the other point that like if there is somebody who is a Guru who is explaining these books to us, they need to first know the Gita, the Upanishads, the Brahma Sutra, and then they need to know the commentaries of all these things. Should have read the, all the whole thing and then understood it very well, and then be able to teach. So when such a person teaches you Gita or the Brahma Sutra or the Upanishads, they are always reconciling it from all the point rather than doing a very literal translation. Which is why, like I, I've read a few of the few of the uh, translations. Where they just try to translate only the two lines at a time very short, concise books, but they completely seem to miss the point. Now that I have seen all the other uh, inter- interpretations by gurus who have read all these things, they, they would translate the word Atma or Yoga or Bhuti and all this, the exact same way in every place and it completely misses misses the point, which is kind of going back and tying it, is that why we need the Guru. And like we are following Oh Swami Chinmayananda, another school of system, and him himself has like written books on all the upanishads and he has written on the bhagavad gita and and this guru sishya parampara also people have this holistic study of all these things and reconciling it in one one particular uh, advaita vedanta style for us
2: the corollary the corollary for us is that you know if any if at any point of time we are getting confused we have to step back and say okay looks like you know, we have to go back to the roots and listen to it. And more importantly, if somebody is, you know, reading the scripture and let's say an atheist friend of ours, and we know a few of them, okay, and if they're reading it and they're saying, okay, hey, you know, the sacrifice means Yajna means sacrifice, you sacrifice animals, all that stuff, then you got to call the BS as BS.
5: And just to add a point here, it was not only these three texts, but any other text that people wrote. It was only considered completed if you have taught it to at least one disciple. Because you can't write a lot. It needs to be explained to somebody. And so that that tradition can continue. And you should only study it from, you know, somebody who's, who's actually learned it from that lineage.
2: So. You sure? Yeah,
6: you know, I I just, I was seeing notes from a uh, um, my friend, good friend, uh, Chakra, who, uh, who is, uh, who learns from Swami Paramatmananda. Right. Anyway, um, uh, for the same point, uh, what he's uh, to uh, very similar to what Satya mentioned. This is from, I think, from Paramatmananda Ji. Um, he says um, uh, we are not self-realized, as in we don't we don't feel ourselves as the self because of the three levels of impurities. I mean, three layers that separate us from the self in general so uh, which is impurities wandering and ignorance right so mental impurities which typically is the the 2 K L 3 the desire anger greed delusion um, arrogance and jealousy wandering uh is uh, is mind being very agitated and uh, and scattered and and obviously ignorance is not knowing who i am right so um So, impurities can be removed or karma yoga is the one that removes most of the impurities. Dhyana yoga or meditation for mental wandering and ignorance for the final, uh, is removed by the final, you know, self, uh, or jnana yoga, which leads to the self-realization. So, uh, he has a nice graph that he had shared with me uh, with the same thing. So, uh, to to that point, uh, to Satya's point, I think, just to reiterate that.
2: Share that with us.
8: I, will. I will. yeah. Yeah, no, just just a question for you, Alpana. I mean Ashtavakra Gita you said is all in the Advaita uh, sort of uh bold. But doesn't does it sort of predate the you know, Gita or what is its genesis?
5: It's just called Gita, but it is not the conversation between uh, Krishna and Arjun. It is between so it is not,
8: but... But it it, it predates uh, it predates, uh, this Gita, right? The Bhagavad. I Gita.
5: don't know. I think there is uh, this confusion about the author and the timeline
8: both.
11: Yeah, Ashvataka is a contemporary of uh, Janaka, uh, so in fact he went to the court of Janaka where his father was uh, wrongly uh, uh, debated and you got killed. So if you look at it, he's a, maha, a Rama in a timeline so exactly. that would be predating Gita if you look at it from that point no here. no
2: sri 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 please don't make that mistake because janaka
11: is a title given to a king it need not necessarily be janaka of uh, <laughs> sita no okay. but this this is a this is case of janaka of sita because janaka okay. used to have this huge uh, uh, debates where he used to um, bring all these wise men to debate and so on so there is uh, one of his quote uh, one of his chief uh, advisor who was like a, a very Nyani. he was also little government he was also very uh, arrogant that he knew everything so he had invited all sages to come and uh, debate with him and uh, Ashokra's father was one of those who and then whoever uh, gets lost in the debate they have to uh, jump into the flame or what, something like that what and a... uh, it's one of those what crazy a... things so Ashokra has lost his father and in fact Ashokra's story of his little thing he was, um, he was, his father was explaining all this to his uh, mother when he was in her womb. He was supposed to have nudged a lot, and uh, his mother's attention was uh, distracted. So his father should sort have of cursed him. You're like spiggling squ- so many times, you're you're d- getting distracted. May you bond with eight deformed areas. So, Ashtavakra. So he was like a cripple, hand, like leg, everything was crippled in eight different uh, ways. So, But he came out, but his, still he forgive his dad and he goes to fight his father's case or at least take, uh, redeem his name. And then he defeats the other uh, guy saying that. So he's, he's definitely Nithila's uh, Janaka. But again, you know how this happens, right? To your point, uh, people trans, uh, Prasharama came over multiple <laughs> We have all these uh, crisscrossing of uh, uh, characters. <laughs> Actually, yes, that's true, but
1: it is not. But,
9: oh,
5: yeah. Sorry, yeah. Uh, sorry, Just I'm saying that it's true that it is the same janak, but it is not part of Ramayana. So that's why you we don't know who wrote it, who wrote this whole story, and uh, when did it come. That's why there is a confusion on the timeline. It's referring to the same Janaka, and he used to even Yagyavalk used to be in his uh, kingdom. Um, but, so so Yagiwalk is there in so many Upanishads, but where is this Ashtavakra is still a little bit of a mystery. I mean, I was trying to find, that's why I, I did that little bit of research. That it's very hard to say whether it is pre-Gita, it is post-Gita, when was it written, who wrote it, and how did it came into It's a It's a standalone text, Ashtavakra Sammeta. Yeah.
11: Thankfully, it is there for us to learn. <laughs> yeah. I just want to put a plug-in. This is a, a series called Upanishad Ganga, which was brought out by Chinmaya Mission as a uh, thing. And it came out in Durdashan when I was already out of India. So yeah. I missed the whole thing. But apparently they have it all on YouTube. Go check it out. It's amazing. They take out all these. Uh, in fact, Ashtabhika story and all these things. I, Janaka's thing, I saw it from there. They yeah. take out all these uh, Upanishadik stories yeah. and the message how it comes out. And there was a beautiful episode on Dara Shiko. Which I didn't know at all. Most of I our Western. Yeah, the I Western, the West, how they like Henry Toro and Emerson and all these people, Max Muller, everybody, how did they know about Gita? And how did we know the English version of Gita through them is because of Dara Shukho. He was the one who went and learned Gita from pundits uh, in uh, Banaras and all this thing, translated into Persian. And that Persian thing got to, taken over by some French. Uh, people who knew Persian and then that, that's how it to the West. Otherwise, Gita wouldn't have been known to most of us because we are all English pra, school, schooling product. We wouldn't have known any of this without going to a gurukula or being there. So, it, those are nice episodes you get to learn from that. Go check it out.
6: Sweet. can you please post that? I mean, uh, yeah, that link I will post it in, it in our hand.
11: group. Upanishad Ganga links. And,
6: and Krishna, I think you mentioned this to me in, during yeah. one of our talks. Uh, in the, the, yeah. the whole, <laughs> how it yeah. went from India to yeah, after, US, the, after that, you know,
7: I, I think it was mentioned in some other group also. I, think, I don't know whether you mentioned it or not, because after that I saw the Kathopanishad episode actually. So there is one episode on Kathopanishad, Kathopanishad. Princeton University has
9: this nice series called Biography of Epics. So they have the biography of Gita, biography of Bible, biography of Quran and so on. So it's not interpreting the text. But how the text itself was born, evolved. where it was born and how it went to the various parts uh, and one of the, the, it's like a whole series of books and uh, this particular professor Richard Davis, he's the one who wrote uh, Bhagavad Gita's biography, uh, I loved that book and that's where I learned the same thing to how it went went from like Sanskrit to almost getting killed, that like this, that's the, a very, very thin line where this Mughal Emperor He's almost about to be killed. He's like in Kashmir and he is himself losing his kingdom. But somehow he has like this. Yeah, that is Dara he, he, was, takes, yeah.
11: he was the elder brother of Aurangzeb. And Aurangzeb, he was opposite Aurangzeb. How close close minded he was, Dara Shikho was open minded. He was the one who was yeah. uh, interested in Hinduism and trying to synthesize it with what is learning. But um, obviously, just after he wrote his treatise, um, um, and then uh, he he got uh, he lost the battle with his younger brother who literally uh, killed him and uh, his whole family and destroyed everything. I'll post the link to that book. It's,
9: uh, it's amazing. That'll
11: be
6: great.
11: Yeah. Uh, that'll be great. So uh, I have one more question for Alpana. You had mentioned earlier saying that while during duty, there's no good or bad. So again, that is brings a lot of things there in my memory, like uh, the, con- the concept of conscientious objector, right? Obviously, you're doing a duty because you're asked to. Uh, Drona was not a conscientious objector, but he ended up fighting for the battle, even though he didn't, uh, because he did was in the pay, payroll of uh, Dhritarashtra. Whereas, there were conscientious objectors, right? Like, uh, I forgot his name. Was it uh, Vikarna? Uh, or like, he he said, I'm not taking the battle. Balrama was a conscientious objector. He didn't want to take sides. So, there are people who are doing that. But then, they, for them, the Rajadharma is different from the Swadharma. So, where does this duty come from there? Uh, Where is this, uh, uh, in your explanation, how do you handle that?
5: So, I think it is more in context of this war, that uh, even though war may appear to be uh, a a bad deed, fighting, but in this particular case, that's why Arjun said, uh, uh, sorry, Krishna told Arjun, that if you are fighting this war for your selfish motive, then it is bad then it is not your duty and then you should definitely abandon it but this fight is between two philosophies the good philosophy and the bad philosophy and you are representing i think and that's what uh, chinman man uh, explains very nicely that you that it is one whole unit you cannot escape from that duty of this whole unit is to fight against another unit y- you are not representing that how is your view being set against so i think uh, it is more of uh, uh, what it's meant by uh, there is no good or bad in the sense uh, when it is coming as a duty but f- for the for the drona i mean even though i have a lot of respect for both drona and and bishma and why they uh, fought the war um, but Drona's duty was to teach. He was a teacher, but was it to fight? May not be. He could he could have said, "Even Arjun is my student," right? Even though it is, yes, he's he was the acharya of that kingdom. More you
11: know, like drafted. He was drafted to the battle. <laughs> no, I think you
2: know he was craving for recognition all the time. He never got the recognition what he needed.
5: Also, and he wanted to take... Put him into the- he wanted to take revenge from drupad and drupad was fighting for arjun so yeah. it was complicated so i don't know whether it was purely out of duty and that's where i i mean to say that duty needs to be yes i think rajesh keeps mentioning when it comes to kids what is our duty you know sometimes we call duty a lot of things which may not be duty which we are helping out out of our attachment of our out of our our uh, you know our desires to be fulfilled. But what exactly is the duty? That's a I, it's I, a complicated I struggle,
2: answer. I struggle big time with that, you know. I think I sometimes I feel oh, I <laughs> 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 you need to extricate yourself out of it sometimes.
5: <laughs> That's why I like do anything.
7: <laughs> there are no <new> duties.
5: <laughs> Uh, But there was an interesting statement that was made today, that you don't need to do anything to get enlightened. But that shouldn't translate to, I don't want to do anything. Because while you have I, you cannot say, I don't want to do. There is no need to do, to get enlightened. I mean, uh, actually, uh, if you understand Hindi, Osho's uh, lectures on Ashtavakra are amazing and each statement you can just I mean I've been thinking about this statement since morning that uh, it is not you can say I don't need to do anything but you cannot say I don't want to do anything and that's the difference between the two.
3: But on that, Alpna, probably misunderstood your statement when you said that you don't need to do anything.
5: To get um, enlightened.
3: Yeah. Um, so, uh, but here it says that you have, you can't sit without action, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you sit without action, your uh, mind would fill up with um, impure thoughts and so on. Right, so
5: how Absolutely. do we relate to? So, so you can't uh, do you the second one. That the real I don't. Word. So that's why that second statement. You cannot say I don't want to do anything. That means you'll be sitting idle, and you can't sit idle, and your mind will go everywhere because you're still identifying with the body. It's just that for enlightenment, you don't need to do anything, any effort. You can realize it now. But the problem is, we get into the mode of laziness that I don't want to do anything. That's not, and hence Karma Yoga. Then you come and do Karma Yoga, because you can't sit idle.
3: So if I, so if I have nothing to do right now, say, suppose, right? Um, You mean that I just um, focus on my-
5: Do job, do contemplation of any, just think about this statement itself and think what it means and, you know, try to get the understanding from within. So yeah, you, I mean... Or meditation, okay. Meditation, japa, anything. Because we can't sit idle. So we have to pick up something.
6: Okay. Mm. So the the, the point is, uh, if I may add here, um, you know, this is praptasya prapti, right? Which is already there. So in that sense, you're not acquiring anything. In, In that sense, you're not doing anything. However, um, the the whole point of inaction not being an option is that we already have the vasanas that are there in us. What do you do with that, right? So you can say as much as you as much as we like, say, okay, you know what? I'll take sannyasa. I'll relinquish duties. I'll relinquish responsibilities, and not do anything. However, what do you, what happens to everything that's been that's already in me in terms of the vasanas, right? That is not going away. So until that goes away, my mind is not going to be still. It cannot happen. That state um, uh, cannot be reached. So even so, taking the in that case, just taking um, uh, sannyas is just an act, right? You're just wearing the robe, but your mind is not there. There. So that that's the point he's trying to make. You you know to Arjuna also, which is that Arjuna, you're not there. You need to do uh, action. To act and to convert that action, which is karma, to karma yoga, so that you can uh, you can neutralize some of the samskaras that are in you already through millions of other births. So, what do you do about that?
0: So, Kishan, are you saying that the action is needed to exhaust the vasanas, and as long yeah. as they're there, we have to be yeah we no. cannot be in action, not doing anything.
6: Correct. So, yeah, Shana? it seems like a, a, a it, sorry, Rajesh. So, yeah very very good question because this i think uh, they also ask uh, the same question right so the example given is that of a thorn to remove a thorn from your leg a splinter from your leg you use another thorn right so yes the karma created the uh when we perform karma that created the samskaras and the vasanas in us right in our subconscious being which is the splinter that's there in our leg. but the same karma done with the karma yoga attitude removes that or neutralizes that yeah yeah, my question is
0: i'm I'm sorry kishore my question is the converse thorn is there and so we are using
6: the thorn but the fact
0: that we are using the thorn means that there is a thorn in the foot
6: absolutely it's there right it's very and because of that and and why how do we know that there is a thorn in the foot because again if we compare ourselves with the um we know we have that right we know those impurities are there we know that our mind, uh, at will, cannot be still, right? To the to the point where, hey, if I say I don't want any thought, we cannot, our mind doesn't, uh, it is not in that place um, at this point. So, without that, and there is ignorance too, in, in, to my point I was uh, making um, earlier. So, how do you then, uh, given that we know there are things that need to be um, cleaned up first, right? We know we have those vasanas.
2: And I'm, I'm going to read, you know, this thing This thing uh, uh, aptly summarizes the question, Shamala, what you asked and what Kishore was explaining. Maybe I'll read it so all of us can uh, read it, right? And this is the explanation what Swamiji has in uh, the third shloka, the first paragraph. He says, selfless activity gives the chance to the mind to exhaust many of its existing mental impressions. Thus purified, the mind gains such a flight and ethereal poise that it can steadily soar into the subtlest realms of meditation and finally come to gain the experience of the transcendental exhibit. So it's, a, it, it's in, 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 in a sense, whatever we discussed, right, this two, three lines summarizes the entire thing in terms of the process, that it's a sequential process that we need to go through. And you know, to Kishore's point, right, getting to the base camp is maybe 99.999% of the
8: uh, There is a distinction
1: between uh, inaction and unaction and somewhere, I I don't know whether it is in the third chapter or second chapter, right? Unaction is something good which is based in sattva and inaction is something that is not to be uh, espoused because you need to act as long as you are living, right? Uh, So there is that subtle difference between unaction and uh, inaction.
0: So my question is more uh, based on what Alpana said. You know, the Osho statement, right? You know, need to and want to. So the need for action, don't say you don't need to act. No, you can say you don't need to act,
5: but don't say you don't want to act. That was the statement? Mm -hmm. The statement is, you you don't need to do anything to be enlightened. So it's not talking about the the normal actions that we do okay Okay. but if you want to say oh i need to read these many books because i want to be enlightened no you can't read books and get enlightened but you cannot say i don't want to read books because that will give you some some knowledge some some of those things right so because i don't want to do it usually comes out of laziness
2: that's that, that's if if we yeah, if of... we don't have something, we need to work for it. But if we like Tuksho's point, if praptasy prapti is already there with us, what do we need to do? We don't need to do anything. Yeah. So,
6: yeah so the far, the the phone... another, Sorry. Uh, you know, just uh, another interpretation could could be uh, to that statement that you made, right? That um, you know the I don't need also means a state of desirelessness. Right? or your desires have gone down. So, it's not that I'm doing this because I want it right, or I, I need it. Uh, so, you, you're probably working out of we, we are not there yet. right. Most work we do, well, any work we do in general is driven by a desire of one, some kind. right. To fulfill that desire, we do that work. But um, uh, a person who has reached that other level would do it not out of desire right would would do it um, out of compassion or uh, of a higher idea but what we we are not there yet so could it also be that that when you say i don't need it um, we cannot say that i don't need it because uh, uh, of the desirelessness is not there yet
5: actually that interpretation is opposite right we shouldn't want but we should fulfill our needs mm. so that's actually opposite <laughs> here it is okay. you don't
1: need but you okay.
6: should
1: but you should want to Anna. do <laughs> On the, similar, <laughs> on the similar on the similar lines I just read something today which said that uh, you know not wanting and not protecting what we already have you know protecting what we already have is also a desire. you good uh, yes yeah yeah that, I think it was in that context that protecting what we have is also uh, related to a desire.
2: Yeah. Kishore, the last twist to that sentence, I need want sentence. When that I basically knows who it truly is, then
14: needs and wants just vanish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, th- I think, I think the whole I emphasis think... is on the identity, right? Yeah. Uh, not in the action or inaction. That's that's yeah. kind of the secondary aspect, right? Yeah, the, exactly. Uh, I mean, as, as long as the identity dissolves, then what you do or don't, everything is auspicious. Right. Whether, whether Mahavishnu is sleeping, it's auspicious. Or whether somebody is hunting, is auspicious. Whether it is, everything is auspicious. When I is there, even the grandest uh, act of donor donation is the cause of harm. I think that's kind of the fundamental the emphasis, is really, on the I. Right, action or inaction is almost. I mean, that's because we relate from the I into action. But I mean, the emphasis is dissolved in that Yeah, that's how I interpret that. Yeah.
5: Well said, Muker. Yes, That's
9: right. I was just saying uh, like the way also in one interpretation written what we always do is karma when we bring this right attitude it becomes karma yoga which is what uh, Krishna is preaching here like do everything whatever karma you do do it with that thing with that correct attitude then it becomes karma yoga and it becomes a purifying action
2: yeah So, so the question I mean uh, I know we got another 7 more minutes the question once again comes back to should we do karma yoga or should we do jnana yoga <laughs> just to revise that is
9: uh, beyond Both. answered right? like, <laughs> do it seriously. so it's like the question like answering should I go to high school or should I get a PhD the immediate answer is go to the high school because you <laughs> have to finish high school go to college to do PhD
2: but don't keep don't don't be in high school for a long period of time.
9: Exactly.
5: There
8: you go. Yeah, don't yeah. stay there. Yeah.
5: Actually, I would still say get the gyan. Karma Yoga becomes much easier. Yes, you do PhD first and then come and do high school. It's fun to do it. It is effortless, it is choiceless, and you just do it.
8: <laughs> you know, it's a little bit like uh, you know, if you think about if you have if you want to do let's say aeronautical engineering, right? You've got to have that sort of desire and vision you know where do you where where would it take me because i love flying this that and the other or whatever right so the way i mean i I really like the way gita is played out because in chapter two it tells you where what the destination is right? right and so anything that you do subsequently whether it is karma yoga or bhakti or whatever you're kind of you know what is the goal right so in a way if you take jnana yoga aside as the ultimate sort of truth Everything else is a means, much to what Krishna said, that it is a step in the journey. And if you you cannot go from, like they say, from here to New York, unless you fly over the Atlantic, right? So you have to do karma yoga. And there was one sort of uh, something I think Swami Paramarthananda said. He said, karma yoga is incomplete without jnana yoga. Yes. And he says, jnana yoga is impossible without karma yoga. Very profound i mean if you think about it i mean it's a, it's really kind of nicely put i mean one is incomplete as in karma yoga but you jnana yoga is almost impossible because if you don't have chitta shuddhi which you get through karma yoga you can't get to the the true enlightenment if You
2: correct. so we all agree Great. that we have to we have to do both depending on the depending on our personal individual circumstances we need to figure out whether one is 90% or 99% and other one is, you
11: know, which one is 90%. Like my opening statement, right? Like my, it is not mutually exclusive. Definitely there are no gray, no black or white. It's a lot of entwinement there. And based on one's uh, aptitude, one's on uh, our gunas, I think we'll be more inclined towards one aspect and then we'll find it reaches, uh, reaches the other end. I don't know whether you heard the small story, um, like I think it came from Timyanandas so it was one of his, his things one one person was not really inclined towards Gita not inclined to those things he said why do I need to do that why do I have to go through the chanting of the shlokas if I might yeah. oh yeah he was more interested in uh, uh, getting to know the meaning but didn't want to chant the shlokas or something like that so he, the, the karma aspect of it he was not really keen on it so then he gave the story about uh, of, uh, of as a saint who had a very very uh, not so smart uh, student and he, he told him like, okay, take this basket of coal which had a lot of coal and he said go down to the river and uh, uh, wash it and fill it with water and bring it to me and then he took the basket down obviously he washed it there filled it with water by the time he came out all the water had gone because it was a basket so it was all leaked out and everything then uh, he got disappointed and then he did that the next day he did it the next day and then uh, after some time, he said, "Like I've I, I given up. I, I cannot really get any more water because it's all falling up." Then he said, look at the basket that you've been carrying. And he looked at it. It was a black, sooty basket. Now it was all clean. And and then he said, look at the path that you came through. And the path that he had come through, because of the water leaking through the basket all through, had on both sides of the path were beautiful flowers laid down here. So he said, "Like okay, you might not be inclined for one, but with, with the very act of doing the other, has uh, side by consequences like the blooming flowers here or the clean basket here that you now you will realize like okay there's something beyond and make you easy to get to the other goal so I thought that was a very good uh, story
14: nice one
2: nice beautiful okay Kishore
6: quick question I mean just uh, in that uh, second uh, uh, s- slo- I, mean, uh, s- I mean third sloka where he talks about Sankhya Naam and Yogi nam. right we didn't So, uh, I know Swamiji doesn't talk about Sankhya. Do they actually mean, uh, did Krishna actually mean the Sankhya philosophy and the yoga yoga philosophy in this case? No,
2: No, I think Sankhya, he refers it to the chapter 2. Chapter 2 is Sankhya Yoga, which is the, the overall vision what he talks about, right? That is the Sankhya that he talks about.
6: But, you know, even later in the... Gita Sankhya comes as Purusha and Prakriti when they talk about that. Correct, and, correct. Uh, so, so he did yeah,
2: yeah, he didn't mean that. Yeah. And and Kishore actually even in this chapter three itself, the word yajna comes almost about seven, eight times. All the seven eight times is different meaning.
6: Mm, yeah.
14: In fact, um, my, my, my guru says that vasana of laziness and boredom, right? those two vasanas, um, are very are kind of very foundational uh, ones are, and also most difficult ones to break for enlightenment. In fact, our experience and a lot of our disciples when we met him and to now the journey is first about six, seven years, it's like almost like intense uh, physical work uh, which you see a lot of the Zen monastics too. I mean, he'll, the jnana part is there But it's almost like, um, you know, the amount of the lifestyle, even if you like stay with them, the lifestyle is there's no sleep, there's no heart, hardly any foot breaks. Uh, He says those two vasanas needs to be first broken before you can, the jnana can flower. Uh, Till the point jnana is given, understanding is given, but it stays in the intellectual part. But six years of the journey, and not only us, I mean, a lot of the disciples who come over time, always of six, seven, eight, ten years is intense, uh, intensely physical. Um, he'll just make two things like uh, it's pretty yeah that's what he always says those two asanas are the foundational ones boredom and laziness Uh, they're like almost like the foundation of the being on which the being is sitting so that that needs to be touched and broken first
6: which is uh, tamas uh, to go from tamas to at least to rajasic and then from there uh, to sattva Predominance that is, yeah.
2: All right, we are at 7:30. So uh we can probably you know Alpana. If you don't mind the next set of slokas, you can please type it out. If you already know it, please tell us, or in any case you want
5: write to
2: 3.8. Okay. Any case you'll have to write it because there'll be a lot of people, including myself, who will come at the last minute. So
4: <laughs>
2: okay. So with that, let's get to the concluding prayer. Um, sarve Bhavantu Sukinaha, Sarve Santu Niramayaha, Sarve Bhatranipasyandhu Makas Chiddukha Bhagavavet. Om um, Shanti 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 Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Pariyo. Great, I really enjoyed today's uh, Satsang. Thank you so much.
14: Thank you. Thank you you all, bye-bye.